Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today is the great feast of Epiphany. It's been, all my life, one of my favorite feasts, maybe because I just remember the three kings appearing there at the creche in the parish. But, you know, this feast has captivated Christian poets, artists, painters, up and down the centuries. How come? Well, it's a great story. You know, it's full of drama, full of pathos, great characters, life and death struggle. But there's more to it than that. I think this story of the Epiphany expresses some very elemental truths in the Christian faith. Last year on this feast, I reflected with you on the relationship between Jesus and the other great world religions. This story is often seen as a starting point for that conversation. Well, today I want to look at a slightly different angle. This story also tells us a great deal about the relationship between Jesus Christ and the nations. Jesus Christ and the nations. We hear something rather extraordinary as this story gets underway. Magi from the East. Again, what are Magi? We don't really know. Magoi is the word used in the Greek. Magicians, astrologers, astronomers, all those have been proposed as translations. We don't know. But they probably came from Babylon, where there was a well-established tradition of stargazing. We'd say probably a combination of astrology and astronomy, but looking up at the stars to determine the will of God. Were they from Babylon? Possibly. These magoi, these magi. But here's the point I want to emphasize. They left their own country in search of a new king. And mind you, not their own king. They left their country in search of the king of Israel. Hmm. We're so accustomed to hearing this story that maybe we lose how odd that is. That Babylonians might go on a journey to visit the newborn king of Babylon. Okay, that makes some sense that an Israelite prophet might journey a long distance because he's heard the king of Israel is born. Okay. But that Babylonians would leave their home country in search of a foreign king? What gives? Can you imagine an American getting all worked up over the birth of of the king of France? It just seems odd. And this is getting to the heart of the issue. Love of one's country... That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with it. It's a basic passion of the human heart. It's given rise over the centuries to beautiful expressions of patriotism. You know, love for your own people, love for your culture, love for your language. All that's a good thing. But we know. There's a dark side to it. When we absolutize the love of our own nation, when we make ultimate, the love of our own people, our own culture, our own language, what that leads to is the clash of nations. The 
clash of cultures, the clash of peoples. Just watch it up and down the ages. The Bible is eminently clear on this theme. As we look at the history of Israel unfolding, we see constantly the nations, the peoples clashing. Look at the rest of world history. Egypt maintained its power. How? By subduing the foes around it. By dominating the peoples around it. Same is true of Assyria. Same is true of Babylon. Same is true of Greece and Rome. Same is true of England and France. And frankly, the same is true of us. Up and down the ages, the nations have clashed with each other. Some of the worst heartache in human history comes from this kind of violent nationalism. And so I would suggest to you, this odd story should get our attention. That sophisticated people from their own country would leave on a journey to visit the newborn king of another country. What gives? There's some kind of relativizing of the ultimacy of nations going on here. There's some sense of a transcendent power greater than any of the particular nations. And this is right at the heart of the biblical revelation. Jesus is proposed here as the newborn king of Israel. And Israel, throughout the Old Testament, is the chosen nation. God chooses Israel. Why? Because it's the greatest? Hardly. It's a tiny nation. It's the most sophisticated? Hardly. The one you'd notice first and foremost? Hardly. But nevertheless, God in grace chose Israel. To glorify it? No. To use it as a tool to unite all the nations. God would choose Israel, make of it a kingly nation, a priestly nation, so that through Israel, all the nations of the world might be gathered unto God. I've often shared with you that beautiful image from Isaiah the prophet. Mount Zion, the true pole of the earth. There all the tribes go up. All the nations go up, united around Israel. That was the mission and the purpose and the vocation of Israel. A king for the Jews? Yes, that was anticipated. The Messiah of the Jews? Yes, but when you listen carefully to Isaiah, you listen carefully to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, what you hear is, this king is also the king of kings. The one who would be king not just for Israel, but for all the nations gathered unto Israel. Do the Magi, in an inchoate way, sense this? Do they sense that when they visit this newborn king of Israel, they're not simply visiting this local potentate, this local political power? No, no, that they're visiting their king. In fact, the king of all the nations. How beautiful, by the way, that the sign of this king is a star. What's peculiar about a star? It can be seen from any nation, by any nation. It transcends all boundaries and divisions. No one nation can claim a star, but from any point on the earth, we can see it. It can draw like a magnet 
any and all peoples here below. And that's part of the power now of this story, of this symbol. They were willing to leave behind their own country because they hated it. No, 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 no. I'm sure they were patriotic people. They loved the culture and language and history of their people. But they sensed there was a greater power beyond that nation. They sensed that in this newborn king, something had appeared that would relativize the ultimacy of any and all nations. And hence they came. And then, of course, in that beautiful detail, they went back to their home country by another route. Fulton Sheen's famous comment, of course they did. No one ever comes to Christ and goes back the same way he came. Well, here is how we can see the application of it. You can leave your country as a tourist and come back to your country the same way that you came. You can leave your country as a soldier to fight for it and come back the same way you came. But these three kings, these magoi, these magi, they left their home country and came back changed. Why? Because they had found a king who made them citizens of a nation that was greater than their own nation. Having seen him, the king of Israel, they would never come back to their nation in the same way, as though it were the ultimate good. They now were citizens of a wider and larger, indeed infinite nation, the nation of God. There's a strange and wonderful echo of this story at the very end of Jesus' life. He's nailed to the cross up on Mount Calvary, which is on Mount Zion, isn't it? Mount Zion, true pole of the earth. There all the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. St. John said, when the Son of Man is raised up, he will draw all people to himself. There's, in a way that Isaiah could never have fully imagined, there's the moment that he dreamed of. Christ crucified is the one that draws all nations to him. And remember, there's a sign over the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it's written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. That is to say, in the great languages of the world. What the Magi sensed was now proclaimed concretely from the cross. Yes, he is the king of the Jews. And that means king for all the world. Even though he looks nothing like the worldly kings, there he is nailed to his instrument of torture, but there he reigns precisely as the king of all the nations. The universal vocation of Christianity. That's what's being talked about here. Paul says it too, doesn't he? In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There's no male or female. Friends, those are the basic divisions of human life. That's how we understand human life, by those divisions. What are you? I'm an American. I'm not a Frenchman. I'm, I'm a Spaniard. I'm not a Hungarian. I'm a man, not a woman. I'm slave, not free. In the ancient world, that would have been a very basic distinction. Now listen to Paul. In Christ, all these divisions fall away. Because all of us belong to a much more fundamental and much more universal kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
the Catholic Church, as I've often said, is not a collectivity of like-minded people, not a club, not an organization. The Catholic Church is an organism. It's a living body made up of cells and molecules and interdependent organs. And this great organism of the Catholic Church transcends the nations. You can see it, can't you? It's beautiful. For example, when the Pope died, the new Pope was elected, and you saw at St. Peter's the gathering of all the peoples from around the world. When you're a Catholic, you can be at home in any nation because your identity as a Catholic transcends your identity as an American or a Frenchman or a Spaniard. You belong to a greater nation. Part of the genius of John Paul II was to make this concretely and viscerally real at the World Youth Days. And it worked. So in Manila, in Paris, in Denver, in Rome, sites all over the world, he allowed young people to see, even as they waved their national flags, nothing wrong with that, but he allowed them to see that they belong together to this universal family, this universal community, which is the church. All nations are destined to come to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ relativizes the ultimacy of the nations. This is the great truth, I think, being revealed in this story of the star. It belongs to no one. that can be sequestered by no one. And that star that drew these magi from their home country and allowed them to see that they are citizens of the church and in that their deepest identity is found. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.